We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey everyone, we're pumped to be able to share an exclusive trailer with you after the show. From Blue Wire Studios comes Golden Goal, stories of soccer legends. Narrated by fellow Blue Wire host Brandon Kelly, each Monday, two new episodes will take a look into some of soccer's biggest stars and the moments that define their careers. From Holland, Zlatan, Messi, Rapino, and many more, each episode will focus in on the historical plays and personalities that make the sport great. So stay tuned after the episode and listen to Golden Goal, Stories of Soccer Legends, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to episode 203 of the Barcelona Podcast, home to the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network and sponsored betonline.ag. Hit that subscription button to be first to listen to the hottest takes on the biggest stories coming out of the camp. No, I'm Dan Hilton, and I am again today joined by Frances Tomas, Barca columnist, featured on ESPN, Barca Blog, and many others. Frances, Barca are back to their winning ways, but maybe a little bit too late, and that's what we're going to talk about in this one today. Hola, culés. Well, it just depends what you consider late, really. Um, I think we are late for La Liga. Um, it looks like Real Madrid and their friends that normally used to dress in black, but now dress in yellow and pink, um, e.g. the referees and the VAR puppets, as Piqué very clearly referred to during the game yesterday. I think they've got other ideas. So we may be a little bit late for La Liga, but it looks like, uh, obviously, with Champions League just being four matches, um, in a way, just around the corner, um, I think we probably are on time for that one. So let's just see what happens. Yeah, before we talk about whether or not Barca could potentially come back and what the situation would be for them to come back in the Liga, we're going to talk about yesterday's 4-1 win on the road against Villarreal that taking place in the Valencian community. So Barcelona yesterday, I would say it was a dominating performance in a way that the own goal in the third minute gave them the early lead. But 11 minutes after that, 14th minute on the counter, Gerard Moreno. But then starting with the 20th minute, that Luis Suarez Galazzo, it was all Barcelona, including a 45th minute Galazzo by Antoine Griezmann and the 86th minute goal, which I thought we can talk about this too, was an awesome goal by Ansu Fadi. He just did so many little things there that show you a player much more mature than his age. But Frances, I think the question that everybody keeps asking here, and I think where maybe our debate might come from was, do you think this was a dominating and awesome Barcelona performance? Or do you think Villarreal just weren't good enough? It was both. Um, I think that we need to, it's a Barca podcast, so we need to talk about ourselves first. Um, I really do think it was the best performance since Etienne joined Barca. And arguably, you could say it was the first best performance for Barca all year. Um, I think that Setien finally intervened. 
you can see that the manager has actually done something that has improved the team. Um, we have been speaking about it for the whole season and particularly in the last month and a half, really, that the 4-3-3 is just not benefiting what what the squad is. Um, we lack a winger that can unbalance games in the way that we are used to. We don't have Neymar, obviously. Dembele is injured. Ansu Fati is still young and doesn't seem like the manager wants to give him too many minutes. So playing the 4-3-3 with Griezmann on the side is not the same because Griezmann... It's just not a winger. So I think that the manager has, obviously there was a, a, there were crunch talks with the with Messi, with Suarez, with the rest of the squad. And he looks at the 4-4-2 formation with a rumbus in the middle. So a midfield rumbus, let's call it, um, is what was agreed. And it looks like basically Barca is a different team. I think the attack trident of Messi, Suarez and Griezmann, with obviously Suarez and Griezmann being up front, in a way, two central strikers um, sort of balancing each other. I thought Suarez was much more mobile. That seemed to be the way forward. Um, Ricky Puch was exceptional in the previous games. So what Setien thought is like, right, okay, what will happen if I pop Messi in there? And I think that the, the relationships between those three, basically our best three attacking players in the whole team, um, was better. The chemistry that just I haven't seen all season, to be honest. And I would say that based on what we saw yesterday, it would be hard to see the 4-3-3 again unless it's Dembele coming back or Ansu Fati finally making an impact and, and becoming a starter. But until that happens, I think we've got a 4-4-2 with a rumbus formation to be seen. Yeah, it was interesting to me after the match that Kike Setien did come out and say that we had put Ricky Puj in that diamond, and I really liked that diamond. It seemed to work. So he just fit in Messi for Puj. Because for me, just watching that match, and I think this had to do a lot with the task that Antoine Griezmann still had to do defensively because when you play with your three attackers all in the middle of the field that means that the other team is going to have license to counter out on the wings and that was Villarreal's game plan from the start of this match and so I was interested to see exactly how KK Setting was going to try to shut things down as everything worked through the middle and one of the ways to do that was when Barcelona were defending they were defending from basically the middle out which unfortunately when they play that 4-3-3, Arturo Vidal tends as a midfielder to check to the sidelines, but he was kind of stuck in the middle to make sure that Villarreal wasn't able to come through the middle behind Griezmann, Suarez, and Messi because Griezmann this time around was farther forward in the attack in front of Messi. He was going to leave that space in behind. So for me, it actually felt like at times it was a false nine for Messi. Even on the Suarez goal, it was Messi who dropped deep but I was really happy for the fact that the reason I say false nine instead of even attacking midfielder is because he wasn't dropping as deep as he normally even usually does to receive the ball and build attacks. He only did that a few times in this match. And when he did, he didn't dribble right at the opposition. I think the game plan was not to have him unbalance an opponent in that way. The only time he really did truly dribble at the opponent was when Antoine Griezmann was supporting him. And this is what leads to the Griezmann goal is that Messi goes right at three yellow shirts, pulls him pulls them with him, and then back heel to Griezmann for that wonder goal. Again, a beautiful chip by Griezmann, he had a lot to do, but the whole point there was that if Messi in that situation had turned the ball over, Griezmann was right there in support to try to bring the pressure, and I think that was the idea, that whenever Messi went forward with the ball, picking it up from that false nine position, 
he was going to have some kind of support. And I even noticed that it was Suarez at times who was also supporting Messi, which, again, I don't know how well that would go if Messi turns the ball over. Is Suarez really going to catch up and pressure and, and turn the ball back over? We'd have to see. But I, I think the guy to talk about is Luis Suarez here. Not only did he score his 194th goal for Barcelona, tying him with Laszlo Kubala for third on the all-time list, a lot of those have been, I think, by the hand, helping hand of his buddy Messi. But Luis Suarez continues to put in Galazos, continues to score goals when he has a license to, but it's just, it's such a dichotomy, right? You wonder, well, they had to play him against Atletico Madrid because he's got to score some kind of big goal there, but he has a complete stinker. And then against Villarreal, when Luis Suarez is active and one of our best players, Barca are just flying high. And I don't think as much as this one match was really promising for Suarez, it changes much of anything. With the exception that Kike Setien actually took him off in the, what, 55th to 60th minute when he's supposed to come off. And I think that's the big difference. 100%. Totally agreed. I mean, we're not going to discover Luis Suarez now. He's Barca's third best goal scorer ever. Um, I think the guy would be 95 years old and he'd still be able to score a top corner strike um, that basically makes all our jaws drop to the floor. But that's not what we're debating here. What we're debating here is whether he can play the 90 minutes. And clearly he cannot. But, you know, it looks like Maybe the stars aligned or something. And Setien actually realized that. What we have been saying in the podcast and Kules in social media around the world have been saying for nearly two months now. And he did what we expected the manager to do, which is trust Suarez. We're not saying don't start him or don't play him for half a match at all. It's just you need to know how old your players are and how physically and mentally able they are in order to, to play the 90 minutes. And, and obviously Suarez is not, is not ready to do that. Um, I want to go back to... Griezmann in this game because I think that he had the best game uh, since he joined Barca in the same sense that Barca had the best game of the season. I think both things correlated. And I was really happy to see him dropping back into the what you've called the false midfield nine position when Messi was busy elsewhere. He was helping defensively. Um, I think that we need to, especially after being, in my eyes, humiliated against his former team Atletico Madrid just playing the last two, three minutes. Um, with Simeone, you know, letting go that very cheeky smile and, you know, what's going on with you sort of thing. And for him to come back just the very next game, being trusted from the beginning and actually having such an impact, I think that, you know, huge kudos has to go to him. Um, tactically, I want to mention that both mid- midfield interiors had to be much more disciplined than before. Um, i very pleased that Sergio Roberto was trusted in midfield. Um, in my article in Barca blog, the... 11 players that Setien should trust. I, I did put Sergio Roberto in midfield for that very reason. And I'm happy that Setien went along with that. Um, Vidal was started. I think it could have been Rakitic. But in my eyes, probably what, what Setien wanted to do is, knowing how the game was going to go, possibly, um, being able to substitute Busquets around the 60th, 65th minute mark and bring in Rakitic. Otherwise, Rakitic could have played in interior as well. And I think that's probably the key reason why Ricky was benched. Um, I do think that when Ricky and Ansu came on, the, the, the speed, the freshness, the very quick Barca IQ that they've got really did help them and, and made a huge difference. And I think both fullbacks, especially Alba, had much more space to run into because obviously Griezmann and Suarez were both drifted towards the centre. And that definitely enhanced their attacking, their attacking influence. So I think, as I said at the beginning, Great to see Setien finally making an impact on a formation tactical way to improve Barca's output. 
Yeah, that's right. I, I think not only about the midfield interiors and Sergio Roberto and Vidal, but as you mentioned, the wingbacks, for the first about 15 minutes or so of the game, they had a little more license to run, and Villarreal were going to try to cut Barca out on the counter. And surprisingly enough, in the 14th minute, they wind up getting a goal in such a manner, though I, I think if Langley was able to keep Paco Acacer offside, which he probably should have, he was just he was on his he had his weight on his back foot instead of his front foot, trying to push a high line. And so Paco Acacer got into a one on one with Gerard Piquet. And uh, yeah, the the rest was eventually history off the assist from Santi Cazola. I guess I guess you called it. Well, it wasn't really assist, but a save by Ter Stegen. Nevertheless, I, I think the other thing to uh, speak about in terms of just the winbacks then having to stay home and do their defensive duty and the interiors staying a little more defensive than usual to support the attack. I think I don't want to get, as we talk about Griezmann, I don't want to get stuck in the weeds of formations here because I think the way that Barca was playing and the movement in which the forward three were able to just switch positions. And I think you should expect all players who've been experienced who are, or considered, I mean, you look at the last five years, I put Griezmann, Messi, and Suarez, I mean, they're in what, the top 10, top 15, all three of them in like the top players in the world for the, f- the last four or five years. And mm-hmm. for good reason, I-, I think they should have the responsibility to be able to move around like that. And you just have to support them. And you're right, Kike Setien did that well. And I think on the other side for Villarreal, Villarreal had been playing really, really well because as we saw, and this was the interesting note tactically in terms of what Villarreal were doing, I think improperly to defend Barca, is that every other team we've seen recently, whether even at the athletic club who wasn't really going in a five back against anybody else, but they took notes from the way that basically everybody else, even Atletico Madrid went five at the back, the way that a Celta de Vigo can go five at the back and give Barca trouble, even Leganes give a little bit of trouble to Barca coming out of this break. So I, I think instead of going with the five at the back, like everybody had succeeded with since the pandemic break, Villarreal instead defended pretty much with a flat back for the entire time. They were attacking with a 4-2-2-2, which means that you're defending with a four at the back. That was a 4-4-2. And then just after Barca's first goal, just around, what, yeah, the uh, third, fourth minute, they try to switch it up and defend in a 4-1-3-2. And that really doesn't work either. So they tried to put more guys in the midfield to clog that up. But as I said, the movement for the forwards, being Suarez dropping deep at a, at a, in a moment, Messi could drop deep in a moment. Griezmann would drop deep. And just being able to link play like that meant that Villarreal just, they were too slow for any numerical advantage. And they also had to deal with the fact that you had out on that left wing, Santi Cazola, who, if you give him time on the ball, which is what Barca did at times on the counter, then he can beat you. But he's obviously not going to be able to close down space. And you almost can use their experience heads against them. And the same thing came on late where Villarreal tries to counter with Bruno, who, a great story too. Uh, Cazola was, is a great story, as we've said, where even if this is last year with the El Submarine, to have not played football for so long with Arsenal, so many injuries. I mean, he's been one of the great ones, right? Uh, David Silva and Xavi and Yasta and Santi Cazola is really at the end of that generation, I guess with Cesc Fabregas uh, being the odd man out there, but just a beautiful maestro with the ball. And then Bruno, who's been basically out of football for three years, to see him come out as a sub in the second half. But as we talk about, I think some of Barca's success moving forward, and not even to next year, but even the Champions League, if Luis Suarez and Griezmann and Messi can be that good together and be fluid and linking play and moving so well, the ability to bring on Ansu Fati and Ricky Puj 
late on in a match can unbalance a match. I do think that Griezmann does yet to compare to Neymar for that 2015 campaign. As I said, it's also an older Luis Suarez than it was in 2015 when they won the Champions League. It's an older Messi than it was, maybe an arguably better Messi. But nevertheless, it's a different front three. But the ability they had back then, if you remember, to bring on Munir and even Sandro Ramirez could be thrown on late in the game as another attacker. And I think Ansu Fadi has actually been better and more successful than that duo who were the backups forwards for Barca back then. And again, Neymar is or had a bigger role and was scoring goals, getting more assists than Griezmann does this year. But if Griezmann can be that third starter and play as well he, as, he, as he does with the, the two regulars, as you would say, then having Ansu Fadi come on for the last 30 minutes of a game can really unbalance something. So, Frances, I'm going to keep the people on their toes because before you get to respond to that, we're going to hit an ad break. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. All right, back from that ad break. And Frances, we go back to it. Again, tactically, Villarreal just didn't do what they had to do to keep Barcelona in check. But in the same way, Barcelona exploited Villarreal's weaknesses. Without a shadow of a doubt, I really do think that we need to take this win with a pinch of salt as well. Um, I know that Gules, we have been desperate to get a convincing win, um, especially you know after the post-lockdown league not being tremendous in any way, shape or form in terms of results or, or game experience and, and eagerness even for our players to, to actually win the games. Um, um, we need to consider that Villarreal's league is not against us. Um, they've got a crucial match of the weekend that you know, will decide whether they go into the Europa League or not. So what I'm trying to say here is that Villarreal did not come into the game on a life or death situation. I mean, most teams in the league have lost against Barca and obviously Real Madrid would have been the same. So we are not direct competitors to them. Um, you could see it as the game developed. I mean, Barca scored very early and pretty much had the upper hand throughout. Uh, but the managers started stabbing their best players very early in the second half, in a way reserving them, knowing that Playing a game every 72 hours is just not easy. And, you know, I don't think Villarreal put all the challenge that they could have put. Um, that's not to take anything of what Setien tried to do with the team and the sort of willingness that our players had. But I want to, I, I want to hit the brakes here. I don't want people to be overly enthusiastic about this win. It's just, in my eyes, step one of what Barca could become with this midfield Rombos formation. Um, you mentioned Ansu Fati. Without a shadow of a doubt, having Ansu Fati as part of the squad has been a huge bonus, especially since Dembele has continued to pick up injury after injury. So Ansu is an irreverent player. He doesn't respect hierarchies. If he sees a motorway in front of him, he sees the wave, he sees a path, he just sprints down it. Um, he could have Leo Messi right next to him, in a way, expecting one of those cross passes to him. He doesn't care. He just does what's best for the team. And 
he's a goal scorer as well. So if he sees he's got a chance of scoring, it doesn't matter what the mechanisms, what Setien's Pizarra, the whiteboard in the dressing room is saying, he will go and do what he feels is best. You could see it in his goal and it's his sixth goal of the season. I mean, this is a 17-year-old. I know that we have been speaking about him for a while now and he's becoming a household name, but this guy's 17 years old and he's already making a difference to arguably the best club in the world. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Francis, I, I, I don't think you should normalize the fact that he is 17. That's a, that's a great point that not only has he scored these goals, but I think it's also the way that he scored the goals. On his goal yesterday, I mean, it was really terrific. I kept, I watched it over and over again because the first time I watched it, I kind of yelled at my wife, what's going on? What's going on? And I said, if he did what he did in the way I think he did it, that was a really special goal. And it was because he winds up holding his run. It looks like he almost lost his footing, but against Raul Albiol, who you might remember from his Real Madrid days. And so he winds up holding his run again. It looks like he loses his footing, but Ansu Fati is half the age of Albiol. Albiol's 34. Fati's 17. So he holds his run, and Alba's able to find him over the top. So then he's got a one-on-one. Now, what he could have done, and what another player might have done, would be to give the square ball into Messi, which was about a 25, 30-yard pass, and then it numerically it would have been about a three on three a four on four in that situation but instead he goes right at the 34 year old Abiol and he winds up turning him inside out and dresses him a little bit and then he gets it on the right foot he's able to use that near post run for Brothwaite to disguise the goal in the same way that Vidal is making that far post run I think again credit to Brothwaite and to Vidal for making the right runs and supporting Fati because Fati then is able to disguise his shot but the most impressive part was he knows exactly where the goal is. He's done it so many times before, but when we say so many times before, he's also only 17, so he actually hasn't done it that many times before. Then he winds up just passing it behind Sergio Asenio, who had, for me, a fantastic day. Eight saves, and he was wrong-footed here, and that winds up being the fourth goal. So the way that Ansu Fadi, though, scored that, as I said, uh, unbalancing an opponent, and while he has deserved to start at times, if this forward three can do what they need to, Fatih's, and I don't even think it's a personality thing. It's not that he doesn't care about hierarchy or that I, I think, I don't, I, I don't want to begin this idea that he's disrespectful to the hierarchy or that he's not trusting in his veterans and he's going to try to be brash and do it on his own. That's completely opposite, is that he is using the things that he learned in La Masia and he's applying those to the field in the same way that we say that, oh, Ricky Pooch doesn't care about the hierarchy. Well, they do. They care about the hierarchy so much that they do exactly what La Masia told them to do. They, they care exactly about the mythos of the club, and therefore they're making decisions. They might seem individual, but they're based on some things that they have learned that they know is the best for the team if they succeed. And we've seen from both of them that they've been able to do that. Yeah, that's precisely my point. That's precisely my point. You're, you're just sort of saying it in a different way. What I'm trying to say is that within the dressing room of Barca, say, six weeks ago, this didn't exist. You had every single player being what we've written about for the last five, six years even in Barca blog. This Messi dependence, the fact that whenever you go up front, all you have to do is pass the ball back to Messi and he will sort everything out. Newsflash, at 33 years old, Messi cannot do that anymore. He needs to associate and he needs to find other players who take responsibility. I mean, why do you think that Messi is passing the ball to Ricky and to Ansu so often? It's because he sees something different on them and that's what has been lacking. And in a way, if Dembele is injured, have given Ansu more of a more of a space to grow and become the player that we are already seeing and hopefully we'll see in the future, then it's all been a positive. Um, I want to close this, um, talk about the game, just by saying that the 4-4-2 Rombos formation, I think, could be 
the way forward in the remaining of the season. Um, the four, with the 4-3-3, let's face it, we were going nowhere. Um, the players just don't fit that system. And I want to give credit to Setien for having seen that. Um, I think we should use the rest of La Liga. Of course, you know, we need to continue to push mathematically and it was certainly out. Um, I've been looking at the calendar. I don't think Madrid are dropping any more points. You know, they're playing a couple of relegated teams. The only difficult one they've got left is Villarreal. But if they take it as a final uh, for La Liga, which it is in their, in their eyes, then I don't see Madrid dropping many more points. La Liga is probably gone. But if we can use the last four matches as a dress rehearsal slash resting time for some of our key players so that they are hitting the ground running, confident, and it's not just physically, but confident in a mental position that, all right, if we do what we do, we've got Griezmann, Suarez and Messi associating properly up front, trusting each other, respecting each other's um, positioning and etc. I think we've got a chance of going all the way in the Champions League. Of course, it's not going to be easy. There's teams in there that are enormously powerful, like Manchester City, Bayern Munich, etc. But with that front three, if we can be solid at the back in terms of Piquet and Lenglet being able to hold that position and then the fullbacks, when they run forward, being covered by the interiors, dropping back, I think we've got a good chance. Um, I know it's only been a game, but I think Barca's revival was very positive and we need to continue on that on that note. Right. And Barca have the four matches left. Espanyol, by the, maybe by the time you're having this in your ears, they might have already played Espanyol to send them down into relegation doom. Then they have Valladolid, Osasuna, Alaves. Meanwhile, Madrid, Alaves, Granada, Villarreal, Leganes. So yeah, as you said, not necessarily a murderer's row. And I think in the Champions League, that's the unfortunate thing that looking ahead that Real Madrid seems to be, uh, I'd say, the favorites in the Champions League, but they still have that tie with Man City. And I think maybe the favorite for the Champions League lies in that tie, regardless of who comes out of it alive. And then Bayern Munich, as I said, I've watched them a ton of times in Bundesliga this year, especially coming back from the break when Bundesliga was all there, there was. And they have been utterly fantastic. People are saying PSG, but PSG never even came back from the pandemic. So with as slow as other teams have begun, I'm not sure. I think PSG have an uphill battle there. But I, as I said, Barcelona too. The, if anything, Luis Suarez and Messi and Griezmann, this is a team. I mean, PK, I put that in there too. This is a team that's actually built to just win one match and then go and play one more match and then go play one more match and just and then just win these one out these one off finals and they won't be tasked with this marathon, right? We've thought of Barcelona in the 4-3-3, the team that wins La Liga, they win the marathon, they're the better team over an amount of time in Spain, but this year it has reversed a bit. Real Madrid are younger and deeper, and so that means that Barcelona are the team that have uh, and I still believe that not only do they have Messi, but I think they have the higher level of talent. Uh, Kareem Benzeman's been great this year, sure, but um, Luka Modric and Tony Cruz actually took steps back, and Fede Valverde was good, but I, I think Barca still, with Luis Suarez able to hit the Galazos that he does, again, Griezmann being that, that sleeping giant, just waiting for those moments when he can have a match like he had. So I'm interested to see just how well Barcelona prepare and as you said, against Espanyol, Vitalite, Osasuna, and Alaves, there's no reason why Luis Suarez can't come out in the 60th minute every match. And I know they want to be playing the best that they can, and they want to get results, and they want to make sure that if Madrid drop those two matches, which they won't do, but if they do, that Barca are, are, are there to strike. But even if they're playing for pride and playing to play as well as they can, I think they're going to put themselves in good position in Champions League. Now... The one thing that we've been talking about too, how Villarreal, as much as it, gee, we got some warm and fuzzy feelings after that 4-1 victory, it doesn't change much and it certainly shouldn't change what's happened even in the last week. 
on last week's show, we were talking about how we kind of forgot about that social media, Barca Gate, which came back in the news yesterday and two days ago. Not only that, but whether it was the row between Messi and Eric Abidal, whether it was uh, the way that Valverde was fired and they tried to bring in replacements before they actually brought in Kike Setien as the third or fourth choice. All these different things that added up to Barca feeling like they were in complete disarray. And I was, I was even looking at, obviously as I do, I was looking at other forms of media that talk about Barcelona, right? So we only talk about Barcelona, right? You don't come here to have a full in-depth conversation about Chelsea Football Club or Manchester United. You come here for Barcelona, sure. Or you can come here for broader La Liga. We do that sometimes too. But I was looking all over and whether, I'm not going to say any of the big names, but it was all the big name publications, right? Who just pick up the big story from Sid Lowe or wherever it's coming from. They take it from Cadena Sayer, but they don't actually translate it. They cut, It's basically the second version of the translated story that these big, big outlets are taking. And all of them were getting all of these hits, all of these clicks and all this attention for saying, Barcelona's in complete disarray, and they're taking that story from Cadena Serra that Messi is not going to stay past 2021, and they're going to run with it. And the problem with this story, Frances, is that while it may come, and I'm not denying that Cadena Serra, for all of the issues that we always talk about with sources, they are one in the basket that maybe you should trust, but we have heard that Messi is not going to stay at this club every year for the last four or five years, including some Januaries. So again, until he's gone, because he has always said, Newell's old boys are bust. That's where I'm going to finish my career. Or he said, I'm going to retire at Barcelona. Those are the two options he's always gave. He's never said anything else. He doesn't really give interviews in English. He always just gives them in Spanish. So this idea that, oh, he's definitely coming to go with Pep Guardiola when they're probably going to be suspended from the Champions League and he's going to live out the remainder of his footballing days as a 34, 35-year-old player in in Manchester (laughs) when he has this big home in Barcelona. That's where he raised his family. That's where he lives. Again, I'm always skeptical. And to put another, uh, I guess, nail in the coffin of as much as I'd love to see him in the United States and MLS, this whole thing of Inter-Miami, I mean, I don't know if anyone's ever, and we do have some Miami listeners, so you could probably back this up. I don't know if you've ever been to Miami and if you've ever seen what Lionel Messi looks like when he's not playing and he's off the field. It seems like those two things don't necessarily fit either. Gerard Piquet, Cristiano Ronaldo, if you want to say they're coming to Miami, of course Gerard Piquet would be perfect in Miami, but not so much Messi. So, Frances, what does your gut tell you? I mean, I know what your gut says. Your gut has always said two to three years. You say that every week, and I am not going to expect you to change with these stories, right? Well, I understand that Messi has been had rumors around him being the best player in the world for you know best part of fifteen years. Does have that consequence? You just carry that with you. But I do think that there is something to this. You know, um, Cadena Ser, which normally they've got um, different sucursales, different Cadena Sers all over the place. But the main one is, is from El Larguero, so Manu Carreño, who is a Madrid fan, basically. He doesn't say it, but it's clear because of the way that he behaves and what he publishes in his in his outlet, is normally based in Madrid. So the information coming from the center of, of Spain, you can, you know, t- take it a little bit with a pinch of salt and say, actually, you know, this is just the Madrid trying to destabilize it. But I do believe there is something to this this time. Messi will be 34 next summer. I don't want him to go, but I have been saying for many years, as you just made reference to, I don't think he's got more than two years left. And that was last year. So I think next year he probably will go. He's got an election. Bartomeu has not done much for the club. He certainly hasn't done much for Messi's career. He has, he's basically failed to surround him with good enough players for him to add more Champions League to his to his um, CV, which is what he always wanted. So I really do think there is something to this. 
Messi saying or stopping contract negotiations. And he hasn't, obviously, he's not going to go and say it in front of the media, but, you know, it has been reported. You, you can take it or you can leave it. I, in, this, in this perspective, I am choosing to take it because I think there is some truth to it. Uh, Bartomeu was talking after the match yesterday and he didn't deny that. He just said that conversations are ongoing and things go up and down, meaning that it could be true that this has happened. And if I was Messi, I certainly wouldn't want to worry about Bartomeu anymore. Um, he is very good friends with Xavi. Everyone listening to this podcast knows that that has been the case for nearly two decades now. Um, Xavi has renewed his contract with Al Saad just a couple of days back here in, here in Doha. And he's going to stay a further year. Of course, he's got a close to to leave Qatar and go back to go back to Barcelona if that was that was needed. But I think it is clear that Xavi is buying time. He's going to be here for another year. Then Messi is obviously going to stay in Barcelona because he's got another year of the contract. And then see, um, Messi is a very influential, is the most influential person in Barca history. I would say in parallel with Johan Cruyff at this stage, and he's not going to give Bartomeu any hints and any pushes forward for him to succeed in the next election. What Messi is doing clearly is saying, guys, I'm happy to stay, but I will stay with the condition of you giving me another president to work for. And I think it's a very clever move. I mean, Messi could just go the whole of, obviously, this year and next year without renewing his contract at all. The same way that Guardiola did it in his last year. Obviously, the situation is different because Guardiola always wanted to leave in the fourth year because he couldn't control the dressing room anymore, which, by the way, it's a problem that we're finding today still. So I think Messi is trying to influence the election. Um, I do think there's got to be some truth to this. I don't think there's always the there's no smoke without fire. Um, but that has happened every year. But I really do think there is something to this because of Messi's age, because of Messi's timeline and the fact that there's an election involved in the middle. Yeah, I mean, where I do agree with you is that Messi does not want to have another year under Bartomeu. But as I remember with the interview he gave a few months ago in sport, when he said, don't take what I do or say, everyone overanalyzes it and thinks that I'm doing or making decisions in the dressing room or I have final say in transfers. He very rarely does Messi come out and say something. And being captain of the club, you'd expect him to be doing this at this time. But a few months ago, again, when he came out even on Instagram against Eric Gavidal saying, I don't like the way things are going behind the board, he very rarely does that. So I think he has made very clear over these past few months that he does not want another year under a Bartomeu candidate because, again, we want to emphasize that Bartomeu cannot run again. But there will be, we'll say, quote-unquote, the establishment candidate. And again, there continues to be fears that Victor Font, who at this moment, I know Twitter is telling you he's the favorite, but until the socios vote in a certain way or through translation, it's hard to know exactly what people are going to vote for without actually hearing from those people. So Twitter is going to tell you one thing, but that is different from the voting base. But it just seems like Victor Font has put together something that not only is Xavi behind, but if that if Xavi's behind it and that would bring him back in another year, that means I think Messi would uh, most certainly. Why would Messi leave at the end of this year? And the reason I say this too is, yes, his timeline is dwindling down, but even at 33, going on 34 next year, Against Villarreal, and I know this is just one match, but he had the most touches in the match, 113. Most duels, one in the match with 10. Most chances created with six. Most shots with four. Most take-ons completed with two. Most assists in the match in, with two. His 19 assists this season is his personal best. And with one more assist, which we expect him to get, he'll become the first Liga player with 20 goals and 20 assists. He has aged like a fine wine, like one of Iniesta's fine wines. He continues to get better and better. And I know that his ability to press 
as a 33-year-old has slowed, and that has created more problems for Barcelona up top, especially with Suarez as he has slowed, and Gerard Piquet has gotten slower, and Clement Lenglet isn't necessarily a speed demon himself. And all of those things being issues for Barcelona and managers to have to work around. But all that said, Messi has not had a single bit of a drop-off in his offensive abilities. If anything, he's become more and more important, not only to Barcelona and the way that they play, but the reliance on him. Statistically, it does continue to prove that there is such a reliance on him throughout this squad. And it was interesting. I saw this infograph, and it's hard to tell exactly how these numbers are being put through between his percentage of Barca points by Messi's goals and assists, and then Barca's position without Messi's goals and assists. So all the way back in the 2005-2006 season, when he was just getting on the scene, even without Messi, Barcelona would have finished first, okay? The worst they ever would have finished without Messi's goals and assists was sixth back in the 2016-17 season. This year, they would have finished 12th without, in La Liga at least, without Messi's goal and assist output because he's been so influential that 41% of all of Barcelona's goals and assists are coming off the boot of Messi. And that just tells you how important he is to Barcelona, how important he continues to be to Barcelona. As far as the way that Iniesta did it, as far as the way as Xavi did it, and I think even to a degree it was Carlos Puyol, he is following in those footsteps as he always will. And I think he's going to continue his twilight of his career. Maybe, again, he might have a year or two at Nils Old Boys, or what have you, but I think that Messi is going to slow down a little bit more before he even leaves. And I think he's going to follow in the footsteps of Iniesta and Xavi and not just try to do what Michael Jordan did and said, well, I'm on the top of my game and I'm going to peace out. And that would be what a goat would do, but I think Messi is going to actually follow in the footsteps. So again, I would argue that I think he has at least another year and not even by his choice, but just that he has the ability to play at least two more years. I think that is very true that his body, even physically, he's the only player that has played every minute since the pandemic. He's played every minute of the Liga action. There has not even been a thought that he would sub out of the game. And that should tell you that his fitness is there. And as much as we say, oh, he needs to be rested or he is slowing down, he might not have left in the tank. It seems like if he's going to play every single minute of the Liga that he has plenty left in the tank. Of course, I'm not disagreeing that Messi could play for another three, four years, especially if he's going to drop into midfield. I mean, if he doesn't have, um, if he's got interiors behind, basically, and he's got Busquets or Rakitic behind, or maybe Pjanic when he joins us, I would say that that could add some longevity to his career. Um, his quality is unquestionable. I think that what he's done for goal scoring, he could continue to do, especially as he continues to take every penalty and every free kick under, <laughs> under the sun. Um, and assisting, I think that he's got the magic of Iniesta and Xavi combined, but all the verticality that he adds as the best goal scorer that Barca's ever had. I don't think that's a question. Um, when you were sharing the stats, um, my my mind drifted elsewhere. I saw the enhanced influence of Messi, like being a participant in 40% of Barca's goals, as a negative. I saw it as a negative from the board. I saw I saw it as the inability of of the board of, of bringing talent bringing coaches, bringing managers, um, giving him a right environment so that he doesn't have to be that much of a key protagonist. And I personally think that that's really sad because, you know, the last four years, of course, he's won Ligas, etc. But ultimately, the Champions League is the, the biggest trophy that a footballer can, can win in club football. And he just doesn't have enough of those. Um, I really do hope that, you know, with the four matches that were away from Champions League glory this summer, he can add another one right there. But 
I think the time that he's got left on the club depends more on what the sausage vote in the next election than actually his ability to continue to play. Yeah, I think that is actually, we finally have gotten to it, that that is the real debate here, right? No, you say that he doesn't have enough Champions League. That's what's funny, though, because the drought has happened here in, we'll say, the later prime of his career. But he's already still in his career won four Champions Leagues. The only reason that we're talking about Champions Leagues and the only reason we're talking about how he hasn't won enough. Now, the World Cup, the international stuff, that's a different argument to had. We've had it before and we can, we're, gonna, we're obviously going to have it again whenever international football returns, you know, maybe in Qatar in 2022. But for Messi and his Champions Leagues, four of them being won, if Real Madrid had not won four out of five, we would not, I don't think, be talking about how few Messi has won. It feels like a drought because he is the best player of all time. And for the best player of all time to go five years without a Champions League, it seems like a lifetime. But with all the talent in the world and with all these great teams being built and with all this money, uh, whether it's dark money or any other kind of money, being pumped into all of these giants of football around the world, it's a difficult task to win the Champions League. And I think the fact that he's going to retire... Even if he doesn't win one, if he retires with four Champions Leagues, that's enough for most people. I don't mean to contradict myself so quickly, but the counter argument is that Messi is not most people. So the standard is just so much higher. And I think that's unfortunate. But yeah, as we keep talking about, the team relies on Messi. It's been a failure to surround him with talent. But I continue to have hope. I continue to watch uh, footage of Trincao in the the Portuguese league. I continue to watch footage of Pedri. We see what Fati's doing. We see Puj coming in. And I'm going to try to be hopeful, not just because of this Real, Villarreal match, but I, I think there's a little bit of hope to take from this. And maybe it, again, is just, the, as I said at the start of this show, the warm and fuzzy feelings of three points. But I just have a little bit of hope that Barcelona, whether or not it's a, a new board in a year from now, whether or not it's another year of this next season, which would, again, truly, truly, truly be frustrating. But I think the final point here to end on is that Frankie de Jong is supposed to be our top midfielder, and he's basically missed all the time coming back from this pandemic. So I can only imagine how much better Barca would have been yesterday if you replace Arturo Vidal with Frankie de Jong. I think you get even more out of that match. And that is an exciting proposition because we have not even seen Puj and De Jong together, which we'll have to see if Puj can even get minutes with Messi playing as that, you know, the false nine of the attacking midfielder and how those minutes are going to be juggled with De Jong's. But I am quite hopeful at the moment, Francis. And I, you know, you can't take that away from me. For sure. I'm the same. I'm the same. I just think that having the right people at the wheel in terms of from the board of directors or from the bench is, is crucial. Um, the enthusiasm from the players, I haven't really doubted that the players wanted to win. It's just that they don't have the mental capability and physical capability, more important, to, to be where they want to be, especially when they've got a manager that, until the last match, really, hasn't really intervened when he needed to. And I think that if the manager can put his house in order and give the players a formation in which they can excel, then I've got no doubt that the players can can improve. I mean, Frankie de Jong's return would be great news for Barca, especially if he can make it before the Champions League starts again. And next year with Pedri and Trincao, I just hope that they've got enough time that they don't actually take away time from Ricky Puig and Ansu Fati and hopefully Alanya coming back, but they find other spaces elsewhere. Um, I don't want to go too long here, but that would probably mean that Rakitic, Vidal will have to leave in the summer. Um, I think Luis Suarez should probably stay, but not as a starter, but as a super sub coming on. But then again, if Setien stays as a manager, which is to be decided still, uh, will he have the 
cojones <laughs> to actually do that um, and without upsetting Messi too much. So there's a lot of question marks to come. But I think that the most important thing is that players do want to win. There's a new formation that hopefully is making all of this a little bit better, making more sense, at least until the season finishes. And then we'll, we'll see what the next chapter has for us. Yeah, I agree. And you know that we're going to continue to talk about all those things. Again, we'll have a little bit of break between the Liga and the Champions League. And then not much of a break, but a little bit of break between the Champions League and next season. And somewhere in there, there's a transfer market, I guess. But we'll see all those things when they happen. We'll talk about them here. So we hope we gave you a little bit of hope after this win against Villarreal. But we want to thank you again for tuning into the show. You can tap in your app. Check out the show notes to subscribe. You can find us on social media. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at Hilton D13 for me on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Closed Facebook group is tbpod.link backslash group for discussions, deeper dives, and all that. You can also help us out on Patreon to continue making these shows at tbpod.link backslash Patreon. And we're also on YouTube at the Barcelona Podcast, so check us out there and hit that subscription button. Thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon in Forza Barca. Forza! This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2-0, and he's... What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe! From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair... Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.